The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Donald Trump's Wall of Human. It's Thursday, April 5th, 2018. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through the links for my sponsors, including Tweaked Audio and the PayPal Donate button at buzzburbank.com. The President of the United States has deployed National Guard troops to our southern border, not to stave off an attack from the Mexican side, but to keep out the Hondurans fleeing the gang violence back home. Trump's been on an immigration tear this week, and that'll be covered as we peel back the layers of this week's big picture. That picture also includes this. The Mueller investigation has sent its first guy to jail, and he's the son-in-law of a Russian oligarch who's a good friend of Vladimir Putin. The lesson here, don't lie to the special counsel investigation of Russian election interference. Dutch lawyer Alex van der Zwan made that mistake, and he'll be behind bars for a bit. Van der Zwan lied about communications he'd had with the deputy chairman of the Trump campaign and a Ukrainian official. And van der Zwan had refused to hand over emails that contradict what he'd told investigators. Van der Zwan is now the fourth person to plead guilty to charges brought by the special counsel investigation. Trump's campaign chairman, the deputy chairman, a Trump campaign aide, and over a dozen Russians are still facing charges. The Russia investigation continues, and it's now sending people to jail as it inches closer to Trump. While Donald Trump's legal team is shrinking, his legal troubles are expanding. Trouble is closing in on three fronts, money, Russia, and sex. The president who's kept secret his tax returns, kept secret where his interests lie, brought the money trouble on himself by refusing to divest from his business when he took office. He may soon be forced to show the finances he has tried so hard to hide. The state of Maryland and the District of Columbia are suing Trump, accusing him of violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which says a government official may not accept money from a foreign government. Foreign dignitaries stay at Trump's D.C. hotel to please the president, and Trump profits from that extra high-priced foreign business. A federal judge says the lawsuit may proceed. The president will need solid legal representation. He'll need solid lawyers as his interviews with the Mueller team inches closer, especially now that it's known that Trump's former lawyer, John Dowd, offered presidential pardons to Mike Flynn and Paul Manafort. Mueller's investigating whether that's part of a pattern of obstruction of justice by the nation's chief executive. If Dowd's offer is witness tampering, that too is a crime. With Dowd no longer part of Trump's legal team, Trump no longer has anyone telling him not to do the Mueller interview, and he's reportedly now more eager than ever to sit down with Mueller. The president was encouraged to hear that he is not currently a target of the investigation, even though he is still a subject of that investigation. The president probably shouldn't be quite so encouraged by that news. Subjects often become targets, especially after they've been interviewed by prosecutors. And Trump is reportedly eager to have that interview now that he knows he's just a subject. He reportedly believes that after the interview, he'll be able to put this whole ugly mess behind him. Trump has a history of telling the truth under oath, and he's seen what's happened to Flynn, Gates, and Papadopoulos when they lied to Mueller's team. And now Vanderswan. But a subject is a person whose conduct is being investigated. And we already know Trump's being investigated for obstruction of justice. What you're hearing comes from the Washington Post, which got it from people familiar with recent conversations between Trump's lawyers and Mueller's investigators. 
The Post also learned that Mueller's already preparing a report to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein about this alleged obstruction. Congress will likely demand to see that report as well. Mueller's interview with Trump is the final element of the obstruction investigation, and that particular report will be complete. It'll be up to Rod Rosenstein to decide whether it's in the public interest to publish it. The Republican Congress and even Trump could theoretically block the report from being made public. It'll be up to Robert Mueller to decide whether to charge the president with a crime. That's new legal territory that Mueller's not expected to broach. He reportedly prefers referring the charges to Congress, which can then decide whether to impeach Trump. Mueller's obstruction report is apparently the first of several we can expect from this investigation. We know there will also be a report on collusion and one on the president's actions since he took office. Those reports, too, would likely land in congressional laps, and it could all go down in the midst of a midterm election campaign that brings with it an apparent blue wave. And through a new exclusive from CNN, we've learned the Mueller team has been interviewing Russian oligarchs and seizing their electronics, nabbing them at airports when they travel to the U.S. for business. CNN reports the oligarchs are being asked about whether laundered money made its way to the Trump campaign. It was the Wall Street Journal that first reported that Trump campaign advisor Roger Stone had written an email to a former Trump advisor in which he claimed to have communicated with Julian Assange and that they had, in fact, dined together. It was the Wall Street Journal that reported that that email is in the hands of Robert Mueller's investigators. It was CNN that checked the timeline and also found that the date on that email is the same date Roger Stone was on InfoWars radio predicting devastating disclosures about the Clinton Foundation. Checking the record, CNN found that Stone had spoken with Trump the day before that. Stone now says he was just kidding about having dinner with the founder of WikiLeaks, insisting that he did not meet with Julian Assange. Mueller has also subpoenaed documents from the Trump Organization as Mueller investigates possible money laundering, a motive, perhaps, for collusion. Even Trump's lawyers need lawyers. Trump lawyer Michael Cohen's being sued for defamation for calling Stormy Daniels a liar. Cohen is now working on settling the original Daniels case out of court. But in the big picture, Donald Trump has denied the sex, hidden the money, and never criticizes Russia. In fact, he does the opposite of that. He either says something nice about Russia, or he doesn't say anything at all. Before he was fired, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson thought it might be best to reverse U.S. policy and supply Ukraine with weapons to help Ukraine hold back the Russian fighters inside its borders. It's an idea rejected by the Obama administration in the worry that doing so would make U.S. relations with Russia even worse. That ship has sailed. Trump reportedly agreed with all that at the time, but Tillerson has reportedly worn him down. And that is how a new U.S. policy was born. Trump instructed his aides not to talk publicly about the new policy so as not to aggravate Vladimir Putin. NBC News quotes a White House official as saying, he doesn't want us to bring it up. It's not something he wants to talk about. Or Trump denies he's soft on Russia. In a White House meeting with the leaders of the Baltic nations on Tuesday, Trump said, nobody has been tougher on Russia. But Putin's global aggression is forcing Trump to occasionally take a stand despite his efforts to avoid it. One official says it really got under the president's skin when Putin fired off a new long-range nuclear-capable missile last week. Trump recently warned Putin against getting into an arms race because, as Trump reportedly told Putin, I'll win. 
And after having spurned NATO, Trump immediately called the leaders of the UK, France, and Germany, telling them they need to stick together. But publicly, Trump remains silent on Russia the country, even though he still tweets about Russia the investigation. Even as the U.S. expels Russian diplomats and Russia expels ours by the score, the White House says this president, quote, still wants to work with Russia. He did, after all, congratulate Putin for getting reelected in spite of what Putin has done and against the advice of foreign policy experts who had written in all caps, do not congratulate. Former KGB officer Vladimir Putin may be visiting the White House soon, and he has no reason to expect a scolding for the things he's already done. The Russian president who'd hacked the U.S. election and annexed a country without asking and now ordered the murder of a citizen in the U.K. has been invited into the White House by Donald Trump. With any other president, it would have been yes to the scolding and no to the visit. With any other president, we would have heard about the invitation the day it was issued. In this case, as in every case involving Trump and Russia, the news came from Russia, not the U.S. government. The Kremlin reported on Monday, April 2nd, that Trump extended the invitation in a phone call to Putin on March 20th, which we also learned about from Russia. The call was only later confirmed by the White House, as had happened a handful of times before regarding other contact between the president of the U.S. and the president of Russia. The White House position was that Trump had tweeted right after the call that he and Putin might be meeting soon. Russian media also reports that no actual preparations have been made for the visit, nor has a date been set, not since the U.S. finally hit Russia with sanctions for its nerve agent assassination of a Briton inside Britain's borders. In the midst of the diplomatic war over that, in the midst of new sanctions against Russia for murder and meddling, Trump has invited Putin into the White House. One of the men who designed the Russian nerve agent said he did not expect either the dead man or his adult daughter to survive their exposure to that agent. So it is against the odds that the daughter has been improving and rapidly now. Her testimony could be vital in tracing the poisoning death of her father with an agent that also had her on the critical list and a British policeman in the hospital. Trump's not only invited Putin to the White House, he's invited him into Syria. During a speech about infrastructure, Trump said, we'll be coming out of Syria, like, very soon. Let other people take care of it now, he said. The other people, in this case, are Russians. U.S. troops going after ISIS fighters have been in the way of the Russian military, which has been wiping out any opposition to Syrian President Assad. U.S. withdrawal gives Russia the gift of Syria. Trump's announcement of a Syria pullout came as a surprise, of course, even to those within Trump's administration. Quoting one senior official, we're still trying to figure out what he meant. Well, they know now, angrily, against his own military advisors, including General Jim Mattis and his new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, Trump has now ordered a withdrawal. It won't be as immediate as Trump had hoped. The Pentagon says it will take planning and time to draw American troops from Syria. The announcement also coincides with the arrival of John Bolton as the new national security advisor, and Trump has in fact said he believes Bolton has his back on Syria. There's bound to be some staff turnover at the National Security Council. Bolton is soon to lead, as well as at the State Department, which also has a new leader in Secretary of State Pompeo. And all of these new faces are immediately facing a trade war with China, talks with Kim Jong-un, a key moment in the Iran nuclear deal, 
and Russian aggression. And one more note about incoming National Security Advisor John Bolton, who is, like Trump's first National Security Advisor, the target of the Mueller investigation for Bolton's involvement with Cambridge Analytica and the National Rifle Association, which is also under investigation for possibly funneling Russian money to the Trump campaign. Bolton is also facing ethics questions over the tens of millions of dollars in his political action committees that are already working this year's midterm election. Isn't it interesting how almost everything in the news is somehow connected? And one more note about our outgoing National Security Advisor, General H.R. McMaster. In his farewell speech to his staff yesterday, McMaster criticized the Trump administration for not doing enough to punish Russia for its now many aggressions. Some Russians just happened to be in Cleveland, Ohio in late 2016 at about the same time as the Republican National Convention. Special counsel investigators have been questioning witnesses who met with Russians at sideline events during that nominating convention. Now, the nation's top criminal prosecutor, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, was known to have met with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, as did allegedly Trump campaign aide Carter Page. Among other things, Mueller's looking into why the only change the Trump campaign submitted to the Republican Party platform was to go easier on Russia for its annexation of Ukraine. Mueller is also talking with former deputy campaign manager Rick Gates, who's escaped a pile of serious charges by fully cooperating with investigators. Investigators have told Gates they're not looking for his help in nailing his old friend Paul Manafort, who had his own contact with a Russian oligarch, so much as they are looking for contact between other members of the Trump campaign and Russia. We don't know what Gates has told them, but with so many big charges against Gates dropped, it would seem to be something significant. We also learned this week that the special counsel's investigation into Manafort's alleged role in colluding with Russia is also being prosecuted by the Justice Department's Tax Division and its National Security Division. Despite Republican clamoring for a second special counsel to investigate the FBI's handling of the Russia probe, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has decided against that idea for now. But the supposedly recused Sessions is keeping his options open, putting a federal prosecutor in Utah on the case to investigate the FBI's work. And, simultaneously, the Justice Department's Inspector General has announced he's investigating possible FISA warrant abuses by the FBI and the Justice Department itself. This attack on federal law enforcement continues, distracting from the criminal activity the FBI and Justice are investigating. Republican lawmakers are hoping their investigation will show that Hillary Clinton paid for that Steele dossier, which they claim was politically motivated, even though the Clinton campaign had not kept up with what Steele had uncovered along the way. Republicans also claim the dossier was the basis for the FBI investigation, even though the dossier came long after a Trump campaign aide had told a foreign dignitary the campaign had dirt on Clinton it got from Russia. Disappointed that Jeff Sessions isn't doing enough to protect him and disappointed in others in his administration, Trump has increasingly taken matters into his own hands. He's been getting conflicting advice about whether he needs a chief of staff, even, or a communications director. Some advisors tell him it would be impossible to function without a chief of staff, while others have told Trump he can do both of those jobs in the course of doing his own, and by so doing, he can build that wall and choose his own priorities. 
There's no sign Trump will take the latter advice, but insiders say he hasn't rejected it either. Trump has no trouble with restructuring the executive branch and has also proven to be a hands-on manager. Trump's already fired his communications director and has, at times, talked about firing Chief of Staff John Kelly. Now fired and without a pension, former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe found out that at least some Americans have his back. A GoFundMe account went online a week ago to help McCabe pay his legal bills since he plans to sue to get his pension back. McCabe had been fired by tweet, apparently out of spite. McCabe had blabbed that Trump had demanded his loyalty and McCabe didn't go hard enough after Hillary Clinton in Trump's opinion. The goal of the GoFundMe campaign was $150,000, but generous citizens sailed past that amount and raised about twice that just in the first eight hours online. We've also learned in this past week that at least one Facebook executive didn't care what evil might lurk on that platform. Facebook Vice President Andrew Bosworth had written an internal memo in which he said, maybe someone dies in a terrorist attack. We still connect people. The ugly truth, said Bosworth, is that we believe in connecting people so deeply that anything that allows us to connect more people is good. It was bad timing for a company trying to distance itself from Cambridge Analytica, the company that got more than its share of data from Facebook, to profile and target custom messaging to 87 million voters in swing states leading up to the presidential election. Employees at Facebook told the New York Times Bosworth's memo had caused an uproar within the company. Some employees concerned about what had been said, others concerned about leaks and what might leak next. The Bosworth memo prompted at least one of the company's engineers to resign. Also yesterday, we learned from Facebook itself that the data of 87 million people had been shared with Cambridge Analytica, the company targeting voters on behalf of the Trump campaign. That's 87 million, not the 50 million we had first been told by a whistleblower. Facebook says that if you were one of the 87 million, there'll be a link on your newsfeed on Monday explaining which of your apps was used to mine your data and what data was taken. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will face congressional questions about all of this this coming week on April 11th. As mentioned earlier, Cambridge Analytica and a new national security advisor, John Bolton, are under investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller because of their ties to the Trump campaign. And with all that's going on in the world and in his world, Donald Trump has been focused these past few days on Amazon. Trump's been tweeting about Amazon for years, the first half dozen times to promote his book. But in December of 2015, as he was preparing to run for president, Trump turned on Amazon and started attacking. He has since attacked Amazon 16 times on Twitter, at least four of those times in the past week. It's just another one of his obsessions, probably because Amazon is owned by billionaire Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post, which is responsible for nearly half the reporting you hear about this president. Currently, Trump's accusing Amazon of scamming the U.S. Postal Service and therefore taxpayers out of billions of dollars and claiming the agency loses a buck fifty on every Amazon package it delivers. Trump's numbers can't be verified because the Postal Service doesn't provide that information, not even to the president, and his comments do not take into account that the Postal Service is required to keep its prices competitive with FedEx and UPS. 
In truth, Amazon has kept the USPS in business, adding around $2 billion to the postal budget, even as fewer people and companies use postal delivery. It must annoy Trump that the Washington Post has been fact-checking these claims. He also hit Amazon for supposedly not paying its share of taxes, even though Amazon does pass along sales taxes in the 45 states that require it, and even though Trump, the candidate, called it smart business to pay as little tax as possible. Trump's also taking aim at Amazon's lobbyists and the, quote, fake Washington Post. Although the two companies operate separately, it leads us to the point of Trump's attack on Amazon, the Washington Post. Amazon stock dropped by nearly 7% after Trump's tweets. Trump had struck back at the owner of the Washington Post by hitting him in the Amazon pocketbook. But it hasn't stopped the Post from fact-checking Trump's claims. Post reporters found that Amazon pays between $100 and $200 million in state and local taxes each year and nearly a billion dollars in taxes worldwide each year. Reporters found that Amazon does get tax breaks, but mainly from states grateful for the jobs that Amazon warehouses bring. It's also worth noting that Trump's new tax laws give Amazon a windfall of nearly $800 million. The president who gave Amazon that windfall and inspired profit-minded business folk everywhere to pay as little as they can is now slamming Amazon for not paying its fair share and for scamming the Postal Service, which is actually keeping the Postal Service afloat. And all because Amazon is owned by the guy who also owns a news organization that speaks truth to his power. It's been another Trump Twitter tirade week. Trump has also spent the past few days tweeting again about supposed fake news, especially from television newsbreakers CNN and NBC, along with the print journalists at the New York Times and the Washington Post. At the same time, Trump's been praising Sinclair Broadcasting, a company that owns 173 local stations across the country and is asking for government permission to buy 30 more, giving it a total of 223 stations. Surveys show more Americans rely on local news programs, than they do on the network's nightly news shows or on cable news. If Sinclair gets what it's asking for, it will have a stranglehold on trusted local news anchors in 80 U.S. cities, accessing 72% of the nation's TV viewers to spread propaganda even more radically right-wing than the Fox News Channel. Evidence of this was made clear this week with a viral video that showed local anchors in towns and cities across America reading like robots the same script from corporate about fake news. And from one of those stations, an email from the news director to the staff was leaked. In it, he said, let me be absolutely clear. These must run. If they do not, my job is on the line. I say this so you understand how serious Sinclair is about this project. And that's where the president's tweets come into play. They come not only at a time that Sinclair is asking for more stations, but at a time when CNN's owner, Time Warner, is asking to merge with AT&T. Now, there may be legitimate concerns about that merger, but note how this president is again using his bully pulpit to try to financially restrain the owner of a news organization he doesn't like while praising the pro-Trump one that's asking for more earning power and more influence. Trump's FCC is already clearing the way for Sinclair, no longer enforcing rules that limit the number of stations a company can own in one town, 
and the rules that keep any company from owning more than one top four station in their market. Through the First Amendment, a free press is what has set the U.S. apart from Russia and other lands where dictators rule. Only in those oppressive countries do leaders call legitimate reporters frauds and try to do them harm while rewarding the ones who serve as his cheerleaders. Or at least that's the way it used to be. Trump already had Fox in his pocket or vice versa, and now he also has Sinclair. Putin has RT and Russia One and a dozen more. The government-backed oil company in Russia owns several networks. Russian TV viewers also get access to Rupert Murdoch's Fox News Channel. It's a roller coaster stock market, and Trump is at the controls. Your 401k now rises and falls with his tweets and policies and scandals. Tech stocks have suffered because of the scandal around the company that abused Facebook data to help elect Trump and because of Trump's attacks on Wall Street darling Amazon. But it's mostly Trump's trade tariffs that caused stock prices to tank again on Monday, the Dow losing more than 600 points at one point that day, closing down by more than 450, and then opening on Tuesday down by 500 points. The Dow has now lost more than 3,000 points just since January. Investors braced for impact as China retaliated against Trump's new tariffs against it in what has now escalated to a trade war. China hit back with $3 billion in tariffs on U.S. goods. Also hurt, the farmers of pork, fruit, nuts, wine, ginseng, and ethanol, and the makers of seamless American-made steel pipes. A 25-year trade relationship is suddenly on shaky ground at Trump's command. Trump then escalated the game, slapping $50 billion of new tariffs on Chinese products, including those from the electronics, aerospace, and machinery industries. Your next computer would cost 25% more, and the foundations would shake at both Apple and Dell. All 106 of the new Chinese tariffs will drive up prices on thousands of items. American consumers will pay for this trade war. China has responded again in kind with $50 billion in new tariffs on American cars, trucks, aircraft, beef, corn, tobacco, and soybeans, putting tens of thousands of American jobs and businesses in jeopardy. Trump flippantly tweeted yesterday Americans have nothing to lose in this trade war since he claims China already had us losing hundreds of millions of dollars. The results will be higher prices and that would have a definite political consequence for Trump. Even before the latest tit-for-tat, Trump's favorite poll, Quinnipiac, put disapproval of his trade policies at 54% and approval at only 34 And those numbers will get worse as prices begin to soar. Our ally, South Korea, has also been hit with new tariffs at this critical moment in U.S. and Korean history. But then Trump said he might delay the new trade agreement with South Korea, maybe, possibly, even though he'd previously called it a wonderful deal. Trump was suddenly indicating the new trade deal was contingent on how his meeting goes with Kim Jong-un. And now South Korea is confused. Its officials say they don't know what to make of U.S. policy or the leader behind it. Quoting one South Korean official, we are flustered. South Korean officials say they don't understand why it's up to them to guarantee the success of Trump's talks with Kim. Now with a comment on the week's dramatic developments, here's Salon.com's Bob Seska.
Bob? Thank you, Buzz. A while back, I coined my very own rule about the corruption and despotism of Donald Trump. If you're at all familiar with my work or my commentaries here on Buzz Burbank News and Comment, you likely recognize this. Trump always makes things worse for Trump. 99% of the time, it absolutely applies to every Trump decision. In fact, I've struggled to come up with exceptions, and all told, there really aren't any. Even the fact that he managed to successfully dupe 62 million voters into ignoring his 40 years of corruption, failure, and ignominy in New York City and elsewhere has turned out to be a disaster for Trump and his family. His choice to play to win on the presidential stage was, counterintuitively, a major blunder knowing his history and knowing the means by which he achieved this illegitimate victory. Had he continued to host The Apprentice while feuding with other celebrities on Twitter, he wouldn't be facing the very real possibility of federal indictments, impeachment, and maybe even imprisonment. He wouldn't be facing such extreme and justifiable scrutiny for both his private and public behavior, as well as the accompanying reality that history will recall his presidency with shame and regret. Trump ultimately lost by winning. The last 24 hours alone are a perfect test case for my theory. Trump's trade war. Contrary to best practices in the context of international trade, Trump chose to randomly and without much provocation engage in an escalating trade war against China. He wants his disciples to believe he's protecting their jobs and reinvigorating industrial production inside the United States by sticking it to Chinese imports. Now, there's a very slim chance China will blink, but they won't blink in the face of our doofus chief executive. No one on the world stage wants to be outflanked by someone as dumb and corrupt as Trump, least of all the Chinese. And then on Wednesday, Trump telegraphed exactly why his plan will fail when he tweeted this. When you're already $500 billion down, you can't lose. Well, first of all, sure you can. You can lose another $500 billion, and the American economy could very easily slip into an inescapable recession. But this time featuring wallet-crushing inflation and declining wages, say nothing of China selling off its T-bills and U.S. investments. And if that happens, Trump's luxurious 40% approval will be halved followed by terrified congressional Republicans disconnecting from Trump's ample teats and scrambling over each other to be the first to demand impeachment proceedings. Secondly, and to quote Trump's crooked goomba attorney, says who? Who told him it's impossible to lose a trade war? My guess is Steve Ducey suggested it on Fox and Friends, creating a meta blunder, setting policy by Steve Ducey and therefore being crushed by a trade war with China. Thirdly, China retaliated by targeting industries based in districts that Trump won in 2016. What could possibly go wrong? Duh. I wonder if the forgotten men and women will still love their guy when everything at Walmart costs twice as much as it does now. One way or another, this is going to be really, really bad for a lot of people, especially Trump. Next, securities fraud. What we've learned since his knee-jerk jihad against Amazon began is that Trump lost as much as $400 million in personal net worth due to declining real estate values as a consequence of Amazon's putative triumph over brick-and-mortar retailers. Trump's rage-gasms about Amazon are also due to the reality that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is also the owner of the Washington Post. Interesting, isn't it? The same week in which the Post's Carol Lennig and Robert Costa reported that Trump is under investigation by the special counsel's office for conspiracy, corruption, and obstruction, and that Bob Mueller will be issuing a report this summer, a few months before the midterm elections, mind you, detailing Trump's obstruction of justice, during the same week, Trump decided he'd strike back at the paper. 
It turns out the law has something to say about using public statements to deliberately sabotage a stock. It's called securities fraud. And it seems likely that Trump will have to face a growing drumbeat to see justice served in this case. We're talking tens of billions of dollars lost due to Trump's blurts. We can assume that there are many angry shareholders and board members who might choose to seek reimbursement or, at the very least, justice for Trump's attack. And finally... It's a trap. Regarding that bombshell exclusive by Lenning and Costa, legal experts are suggesting that by revealing to Trump that he's not necessarily a target yet, and instead merely a subject of an investigation, Mueller's attempting to cajole Trump into testifying. In other words, if Trump thinks he's in the clear, he's not even close, he'll be more willing to enthusiastically appear for questioning during which he'll absolutely perjure himself. And sure enough, we also learned in the Post's reporting that Trump is privately and inexplicably relieved about his status. We also learned that he's desperate to testify, going so far as to fire attorney and certified pig man John Dowd, who argued that Trump should never testify. Put another way, Mueller wins. Trump is falling face first into the trap, and almost everyone, minus Trump, understands that at the very least, he'll lie under questioning, if not stupidly revealing details that'd graduate him from being a subject to being a target thus deepening his legal jeopardy. Trump always makes things worse for Trump. At times, I think we've all carefully gazed over the ledge, staring into the abyss, absorbing the extent of the treachery, overtaking so many of our national institutions, and threatening every last bit of progress we've made since World War II. Yes, Trump is terraforming. He's plowing over America's post-war progress and replacing it with a zombified, twisted bastardization of a 1950s utopia. Unless you're a white, upper-middle-class male, a pet cemetery resurrected version of the 1950s, especially knowing that it's funneled through Trump's sociopathic gray matter, will only turn out to be a horror show of neo-segregation, air and water pollution, economic instability, international strife, rampant misogyny, abuse of power, and repression of all varieties. And his people will cheer for every nightmare. Nevertheless, Trump's not the only one who will be self-impaled, that's for sure. But as we shudder at the hourly derangement of the Mad King, we can rest assured knowing that he's not immune from his own incompetence, greed, and malfeasance. Trump thinks he's making America greater when he's only screwing himself dry. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com and every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me with him there every Tuesday. It's now the age of activism. A blue wave draws closer and us versus them after this. Just a quick reminder here to do your online shopping by using and bookmarking that Amazon link at buzzburbank.com. This production gets a small commission from Amazon when you do, so it's very helpful to shop through that link for home, school, church, or office. If you'd prefer not to use my Amazon link for any reason, please support this free newscast through the PayPal Donate button just beneath the Amazon button at buzzburbank.com. And thank you. Welcome to the Age of Activism. 2018 will also be remembered for its marches by women, high school students, African Americans, and teachers. This time, it was the teachers walking out of class in Oklahoma and Kentucky on Monday. Across the country, and certainly in those states, people in one of our noblest and most important professions are working two and three jobs to feed their families. They have been stripped of their benefits and their pensions. Oklahoma teacher pay ranks 49th in the nation. 
A two-week teacher walkout in West Virginia netted a 5% pay raise, raising teachers' hopes across the country and inspiring them to fight for more. Also on Monday, spring break ended for the students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in Parkland, Florida. Many of the students who survived our latest mass school shooting had spent that break staging strikingly successful marches and boycotts and moving the needle a bit on gun laws. And then they went back to their studies. They also returned to tighter security that some students likened to prison. Entrances have been restricted, and during classroom hours, the only access is through the front office. Students are now required to use the clear plastic backpacks they've been given, making it faster to pass them through security checkpoints. Some students say the clear backpacks make them feel uneasy. The principal says security at the school is no more stringent than at a concert, a sporting event, or Disney World. But it was Stoneman Douglas senior David Hogg who tweeted out a list of hashtags for a dozen companies advertising on Laura Ingram's show on Fox News. Ingram had attacked that high school student, mocking his college application rejections despite his 4.1 grade average. The young man fought back, and David's Twitter followers let those companies know how they felt about supporting Ingram's show. More than a dozen of Ingram's sponsors immediately jumped ship, including major advertisers like Bayer and Hulu, along with Joseph A. Bank, Rachel Ray, and TripAdvisor, just to name a few more. Ingram immediately took a week's vacation, just as Bill O'Reilly had done before he was forced out at Fox News. Ingram has also apologized, but the damage of her words had already been done. These young people who survived a mass shooting are not to be trifled with. The student's push for gun control is forging ahead. Vermont's Republican governor says he will sign three bills, expanding background checks, banning bump stocks, and raising the gun buying age to 21 for those not in the military. The bills also list ammunition to 10 rounds for long guns, 15 for handguns. Vermont's lawmakers and governor have also recently approved bills to let officers take guns from people deemed to be an extreme risk and those arrested for domestic assault. In New Jersey, officials say they've swapped out the state's pension fund investments that were in a company that makes automatic and semi-automatic weapons. But gun advocates haven't gone away either. Donations to the National Rifle Association spiked after the slaughter of 14 high school students and three teachers in Parkland, Florida. NRA donations went from nearly $250,000 in January to nearly $800,000 in February, boosted by that massacre. March was even better for the NRA. Donations to the NRA's Political Action Committee have more than doubled as well. In Vermont, a 13-year-old boy is running for governor. In places where it's not prohibited by law, including Kansas, minors are running for governor. But this story isn't here because a 13-year-old boy's running for the highest office in his state. It's here because of why he and some of the other kids are running. Gun control is this candidate's highest priority. Quoting the 13-year-old New England boy, My generation has been taking an important step because we're the ones getting shot. It will happen in Vermont if we don't take action, he says. He says New England's hunting culture will make his job harder, but adds, it's a culture I respect. But if it's between letting my friends have a good time at a firing range and them possibly being involved in a school shooting, I'm choosing legislation to protect them from that school shooting. Ethan Sonneborn is running as a Democrat. Vermont's Democratic Party executive is Connor Casey, who says 
He wouldn't think of discouraging Ethan, but says Ethan's facing two big hurdles, not being able to get out of school for campaign appearances. Also, says the party leader, not having a driver's license. Ethan wouldn't seem to stand much of a chance at all, but just enough perhaps to inspire state officials to consider establishing a minimum age for candidates. But for now, Ethan continues to forge ahead, like others, articulately and against the odds, inspired by the need to stop gun massacres in schools. And a more promising revolution is underway by women. A record number of women have declared their candidacies in this year's midterm elections, twice as many as in 2016. Most of them are running as Democrats, three times the number of female Republicans running for House seats, twice as many Democratic women running for gubernatorial seats. On the Senate side, where the races are more evenly split by party, women, regardless of party, are filing for office at twice the rate they have in recent years. And those numbers could grow since 17 states still haven't hit their filing deadlines. Women currently hold only one out of every five seats in Congress, despite women being roughly half our population. Only 17 states have or once had female governors. At last check, 40 women are running for governor in 36 states. Five women are running for governor in Colorado, five also in Maine. The landscape of government is clearly changing, the trend curving upward more sharply than it has since the founding of this democracy. So in the future, if something's on your mind, call your congresswoman. The rising up of women and young people is the main driver of the blue wave that Republicans now hear roaring toward their shores. In the words of Wisconsin staunchly Republican Governor Scott Walker, we are at risk of a blue wave in Wisconsin. He has good reason to say that. Tuesday, Democrats won a seat on the state Supreme Court, and they won it by an 11-point margin over the guy backed by the NRA. Back in January, Democrats won a special election for Senate in Republican territory there in Wisconsin. If you hear a snapping sound, it's from seats in government flipping across the country, even in some surprising places. Democrats are doing something they don't usually do. They're voting, and they're winning in state legislatures, in Supreme Court vacancies, and in national races for the House and Senate. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker is so concerned about that roaring and flipping, he's tried to delay at least two special elections, even if it meant leaving those seats empty for nearly a year. A court has now ordered Walker to have those special elections. Wisconsin's Republican lawmakers hear the wave, too. They tried to pass a bill banning special elections after April in election years. Republicans hear that wave getting closer, and they're beginning to scramble for safety. EPA Director Scott Pruitt is doing the president's bidding, but he may still be out of a job. On one hand, Pruitt has announced he's revoking the Obama administration policy requiring cars and light trucks to average over 50 miles a gallon by 2025. The idea is to fight pollution and man-made climate change by cutting carbon emissions. But California has the right under the Clean Air Act to impose its own emission standards and says it will sue if its waiver is revoked, an idea that EPA Director Scott Pruitt is considering. California does not stand alone, however. A dozen other states do whatever California does on this. But the big-business-friendly Trump administration has been listening to automakers who've complained about the Obama emissions standards. And as happy as Trump is about Pruitt's work in reversing Obama's orders and deregulating big business, Trump is also displeased 
with the negative attention Pruitt's attracted through his extravagant expenses and his conflict of interest arrangement with a lobbyist and his possible misuse of money from the Clean Water Act. The Trump White House is now formally investigating Pruitt's $50 a month condo rental on Capitol Hill. That condo is co-owned by the wife of a key lobbyist for the energy industry. Regulating the energy industry is one of Pruitt's responsibilities. Democrats on the House panel that oversees the EPA are now also investigating Pruitt's housing arrangement. Pruitt's also soaked taxpayers for a 24-hour security detail to protect him from violent tree huggers. He recently added over a dozen more security personnel for himself at taxpayer expense. His security details accompanied Pruitt to destinations including Disneyland and the Rose Bowl and the University of Kentucky basketball game. Traveling at taxpayer expense has also been on the menus of Cabinet Secretaries Ryan Zinke at Interior and Tom Price at Health and Human Services. It was also an alleged vice of now-fired VA Secretary David Shulkin. Pruitt has promised to fly coach from now on and to cut back on his use of those security people. But will he? And will that be enough? Even if Pruitt is the next Trump administration official to head for the exit, the Trump policy of deregulation will forge ahead on fossil fuels. Former VA Secretary David Shulkin, by the way, says he was not fired for abusing tax dollars for travel, which he says he didn't do. Shulkin says he was fired for disagreeing with Trump's plans to privatize the Veterans Administration. Republicans, led by Trump, want to turn the care of our veterans over to for-profit medical providers, an idea veterans groups widely and strongly oppose. I'm not against reforming the VA, said Shulkin, but I was against privatization. There was a lot of us and them from the president this week. It started Easter morning after a Fox News Channel segment on immigration. As he was on his way to church, Trump announced there'll be no DACA deal ever and blamed the Democrats. Trump had previously said he would treat DACA with great heart and that he cares about the kids. It was Trump's executive order that put DACA on the critical list in the first place. Trump also fired off a pair of tweets Monday morning, railing about what he called the dangerous caravans of people entering the U.S. from Mexico. He claimed that immigrants are flowing into the country to take advantage of DACA. That makes no sense. DACA only applies to immigrants who've been here since 2007. People coming over the border now would not benefit from it. Immigrants are moving here to escape violence and poverty. Although most of today's refugees are from Central America, Trump tweeted he wants Mexico to keep them from coming here. Trump wrote Mexico has, quote, the absolute power to do this. Mexico responded by saying enforcing U.S. immigration policy is not its job. Trump now says he'll use the NAFTA trade agreement to force Mexico to pay for the wall, something Mexico had already refused to do. Trump also slammed Democrats and called on Congress to build that wall and immediately pass new border laws and to use the congressional nuclear option to get those laws passed if necessary. Trump referred to the refugees fleeing violence as them. And he added, our country is being stolen. And if you are inclined to pay more attention to what a president does than what he says, Trump has begun to shape policy that matches what he has just said. He's announced he's ordering the U.S. military to guard the border until he gets tougher immigration laws and his great border wall is completed. For now, a sort of human wall to stand in for a constructed obstacle. 
Trump called up the National Guard last night after talking with the affected governors and the Pentagon. We don't know yet how many troops, but we know they will not have contact with the immigrants. They're there to provide support to immigration officers and or to put on a show. Trump's also pushing now for a new law to crack down further on illegal immigration and to make it tougher to come here if you are fleeing violence in your home country, as if it weren't tough enough already with waiting lists as long as five years. Trump's proposed law would strip protection from children who arrive here illegally, quickening their deportations. Families would be detained for longer periods while waiting for their cases to come up in court. And the number of people granted asylum in the U.S. would be limited even further under Trump's proposed legislation. Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions has promised to beef up immigration enforcement even more. Immigrants who have spent decades in this country are in even greater fear of deportation for themselves and for their friends and families. But wait, there's more. The courts that hear immigration cases are not part of our judicial branch, but part of the executive branch that's now led by Trump. And the boss is now telling immigration judges they have to meet a quota of deportations, at least 700 a year each, if they expect to get a passing grade on their annual performance reviews. If you pay attention both to what the president says and what he does, the message to immigrants is the same. Go away. Get out. Stay out. No charges have or will be filed against the officers involved in the shooting death of a black man in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But one of the officers has now been fired, the other suspended three days for major deviations from department policy. The officer dismissed had fired six shots at Alton Sterling in July of last year. The fired officer had violated the department's policy of command of temper. New video shows that same officer shouting profanities at Sterling, slamming him into a car, and ordering his partner to tase Sterling while pointing a gun at Sterling's head. Quoting the police chief, they contributed to the death of another human being, adding, unreasonable fear within an officer is dangerous. But the chief also warned citizens to obey the commands of a police officer. Please stop resisting, stop running, he said, adding, when the officer gives you direction, listen. The rallies have continued in Sacramento, California, meanwhile, where an independent autopsy revealed that young father Stefan Clark had been shot to death with eight bullets, six of them in his back. Clark, unarmed, was shot to death by police in his grandmother's backyard. The mayor has asked the community to be patient with that investigation. It was at one of those Sacramento rallies that a 61-year-old woman was hit by a police cruiser as it sped away from protesters. Witnesses call it a hit and run. The woman will be okay after being treated for injuries to her leg, arm, and head. Deputies did ultimately circle back to the scene and to a crowd even angrier than the one it had encountered a few minutes earlier. In New York City yesterday, police shot and killed a black man after he aimed an object at them. Police thought it was a gun. It was a metal pipe. The man was bipolar and didn't own a gun. After four officers fired a total of 10 rounds, they administered first aid and called for an ambulance that the 35-year-old was pronounced dead at the hospital. Can tobacco help fight the flu? Roseanne, UFOs, the tip of the iceberg, and the return of the strip club monkey in the third and final segment, up next. If you're ready to go wireless, then get the Heller Bluetooth earbuds from tweakedaudio.com. The Hellers are wireless to hook you up with your favorite songs, phone calls, and podcasts like this one. 
and the Heller stay in your ears with five hours of use and 100 hours of standby time between USB charges. The Heller has a built-in mic, a storage pouch, and comfortable gels in three sizes. Tweaked Audio's wired earbuds come in a range of colors, and you can even get buds in sets of two or three. And Tweaked Audio earbuds just sound better. You certainly can't beat the prices for this level of quality, guaranteed. And the shipping is free anywhere in the world. And you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through tweakedaudio.com and all my other great sponsors, as well as through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. When faced with a choice of being sick or going hungry, Americans are choosing to live with their illnesses. 40% of us fear the cost of treatment more than the illness itself, according to a new survey by the University of Chicago and a San Diego research group. 47% have skipped a medical test out of concern about the expense. About one in three of us say we haven't filled a prescription or that we have split pills to save money for groceries and bills. 30% say they've actually been forced to choose between paying for medical care or more pressing necessities like housing, heating, and food. More than half of us say we've been billed for medical care we thought would be covered by insurance. Americans spent $3.3 trillion on health care in 2016, and 75% of us say we're not getting our money's worth. That's what a health care crisis looks like. As it turns out, even medical insurance companies can help fight the opioid epidemic. Cigna says it has cut opioid use by its members by 25%, and the company says it achieved this milestone a year sooner than it expected. Cigna holds the title of fifth place among the big health insurance companies in this country, but it was one of the first to take actions on opioids. About one in four patients with opioid prescriptions misuse them. Cigna limits prescriptions to 15 days for acute pain and will start capping some symptoms at seven days. It'll also start setting dosage limits. The CDC is asking doctors to limit prescriptions to three days or less. It says more than seven is, quote, rarely needed. They're growing tobacco in a greenhouse in North Carolina, but not for making cigarettes. Researchers at a Philip Morris company are working on a flu vaccine grown in tobacco plants instead of chicken eggs. The chicken egg process takes six months. The tobacco plant process takes six weeks. An egg produces four vaccinations. A tobacco plant, 50. The Pentagon is all over this for vaccinating the troops without delay. Studies show the tobacco-grown vaccine is also better at fighting mutated flu vaccines like the deadly H3N2. So studies are underway at that 97,000-square-foot greenhouse in North Carolina. If all goes as planned, it'll be available in two or three years. If you're concerned about the melting of Earth's polar caps, you've only seen the tip of the iceberg. You should see the part underwater. It's shrinking faster. The rate of underwater ice melting is doubling every 20 years. That means the seas may rise much more than we expected, wiping out coastal communities around the world. Warmer oceans are the immediate cause of the melting as the planet itself gets gradually warmer. The waters around and under the Antarctic are now five times warmer than they were at the end of the ice age that formed that ice. There have been more UFO sightings by pilots. 
in the skies over southern Arizona last month. The pilot of a Learjet reported by radio he'd seen a bright object moving at very high speed overhead. He asked the tower if any aircraft was above him in the past 30 seconds. An air traffic controller said no, and the pilot responded, okay, something did. And then a few minutes later, the pilot of an American Airlines jet saw the same object. Yeah, something just passed over us, he radioed. I don't know what it was. It was at least two to 3,000 feet above us, said the pilot, adding, I don't know what it was. Authorities say it was probably a weather balloon. But earlier this month, the Pentagon released Navy fighter pilot video showing a similar sighting on the East Coast. It's reported here because the Pentagon stopped investigating sightings six years ago. After 22 million people watched the return premiere, ABC has renewed Roseanne for another season, season 11. The double episode premiere got its best ratings in Trump country, red states, and rural areas. That's not surprising since 21 years later, the fictional Roseanne Connor is a Trump supporter, just like the real-life Roseanne Barr. And although Roseanne gets final say, liberal daytime TV talker Sarah Gilbert, who plays Darlene, is also an executive producer of the reboot. Still, many Americans are again torn between the artist and the art. Do we watch a show we enjoy even if we don't agree with the star's politics? We've watched when they didn't agree with the lead character's politics, as in the case of All in the Family's Archie Bunker. With nearly the entire cast returning, the reboot was just what ABC had been searching for as it chugs along in fourth place among the major networks. ABC executives say they started immediately looking for more common man programming the day after Trump was elected. Passings and Passages the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis by a gun sniper 50 years ago last night. He was remembered last night in a ceremony at the site of his death, including some who were there with him that evening. A church bell told 39 times for the 39 years of his life. King was killed the night after his I Have a Dream speech. South African apartheid fighter Winnie Mandela is gone now at 81, Although she was married to the towering Nelson Mandela, Winnie fought her own battles on her own terms. She's been described as both fiery and charming, eloquent and complex. Nelson Mandela first met Winnie at a bus stop in 1957 where he said, I was struck by her beauty. She was controversial to the end. Cop shows on TV were forever changed by Stephen Bochco, who gave us Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue. In the 1980s, Bochco won 10 Emmys for his shows, which also included L.A. Law and Doogie Howser, M.D. Bochco died of leukemia at age 74 over the weekend. Arnold Schwarzenegger is reportedly doing well after several hours of open-heart surgery late last week. Now 70, Schwarzenegger had an aortic valve replaced in 1997. Director Kevin Smith, by the way, says he's lost 25 pounds since his recent heart attack. Spielberg's Ready Player One was number one at the North American movie theaters this week with over $41 million in ticket sales. Tyler Perry's Acrimony was second with $17 million. Black Panther down to third now at just over $11 million. For previews, theaters, showtimes, and tickets, please go through my Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. In this age of conspiracy theories and alternative facts, 33-year-old Eric Hartman of Pinchney, Michigan is coming around. For the longest time, Eric's been convinced that lotteries are all a conspiracy, that nobody's ever really won any of these jackpots we hear about. 
That belief may have somehow eased the guilt of a man who's been playing Lotto 47 for about six months now. Eric bought the multi-draw tickets, giving him 25 fake chances to win with numbers he had to only select once. After all, it's just a big conspiracy. But after he won nearly one and a half million dollars, Eric naturally responded, I can't believe it. He now believes and plans to invest the money. That's the upside to skepticism. You can always be pleasantly surprised to find out you were wrong. Does Manda Alexander really know the man she married a year ago? Their outdoor wedding photos are lovely. The bride and groom standing outside a door of a vintage building in Texas. What Manda didn't know when that particular photo was taken was that the groom's brother had sneaked into the background dressed as a psycho killer clown. It had all been prearranged between the groom, his brother, and the photographer. Manda has never liked clowns, especially the ones who kill. So she took it better than you would expect when her husband Vince showed her a wider shot of that wedding photo with the creepy killer clown in the background. Vince revealed the new framed photo when he presented it to Manda as their first anniversary gift. I'm sure they'll be fine. They had to have wondered if horror meister Stephen King was hiding in the bushes when they found the dolls in a public park in Arden, North Carolina. Folks attending a birthday party discovered more than a dozen dolls arranged in a semicircle around a toy saxophone player. Local police studied the scene and determined there was no criminal activity, but they did put out the two candles that were burning as part of this gathering of dolls. I'm sure everything's fine. She had her husband, her daughter, and herself in the family car when a Florida woman realized that she had forgotten to pick up the money back in the apartment. So she jumped out of the car and ran back toward the apartment, and she left the car in gear. The car, complete with husband and daughter, drove through a fence and into a swimming pool. With credit to the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office, the woman gave a whole new meaning to the term carpool. Everybody's fine. They're looking for a lifeguard this summer at a resort in Rhode Island. You wouldn't need one of those t-shirts that says lifeguard. You wouldn't need the red shorts even. You can wear them if you like. It's a clothing optional resort and it's having trouble finding qualified candidates for lifeguard. The Dyer Woods Nudist Campground says candidates must have excellent communication skills. And it's Aaron Gobralus in Ireland where that country is getting its very first ever nude beach. It was as inevitable as it seems out of character. Sunbathing nude on Irish beaches has been on the rise for years. Just as in the U.S. and elsewhere, there will be signs warning visitors they may encounter nude bathers. And in case you're wondering what's happened in the case of the monkey spotted recently near a North Miami Beach strip club, he's still around. There have now been more sightings in a neighborhood near the strip club. One man says he saw what he thought was a dog running down the street, but realized it wasn't a dog when he saw it climb a fence. I thought it was seeing things, says our witness, adding, it was real. Florida's had wild monkeys since the 1940s and several escaped from a chimp farm in the area. Officials say they're looking for a way to catch the monkey and return it to its colony. 
There's also a chance it could return home or go back to the strip club. You'll hear it here first. And finally, someone shot a video at a golf course in Merseyside, England, of a man having sex on the ninth hole. In the ninth hole. The man did not appear to be drunk. He also appeared to be recording video of this unsportsmanlike conduct, which also involved the business end of the flagpole he had removed from the hole before proceeding. Mercifully, this public act was over in about 60 seconds. The video taken by a witness went viral with comments including, someone's excited for the masters, and another that read, to be honest, most would choose this over actually playing golf. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting my sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.